Good evening. Tonight we'll be continuing in the Ten Commandments series, uh, taking a look at commandment number seven. It's found in Exodus 20, verse 14, and it says simply, you shall not commit adultery. Since being ordained as a minister of the gospel, I've had the opportunity to preside over two marriage services, two marriage ceremonies. And uh, I have found that uh, in, in both of those cases, I was extremely nervous, trust me. It's, it's, it's a big deal in the lives of those people who are getting married. It's also a big deal to understand that you are uh, officiating over a holy ceremony in which you are seeing two people join together uh, before their family and before God. And um, we, we want to enter into that service. We want to enter into that with all of that weight, that heaviness uh, that, that sort of comes with a, a lifetime commitment. And um, my prayer is that those, those marriages will be God-honoring and that they will last a lifetime. And it's an exciting thing for me to, to, to participate in. It's a, it's a great honor for me to participate in. But one of the things that we do prior to people getting married, and you guys maybe went through this yourself, and maybe, maybe it was done when you were married, depending on how long ago. Maybe your pastor didn't do premarital counseling. Maybe it was your parents that talked to you. Maybe grandparents talked to you. But in premarital counseling, oftentimes, pastors will stress the seriousness of the commitment that they're about to make. Bride and groom, after all, will be sealing this commitment with a solemn vow to each other during the ceremony. They pledge themselves to each other. Forsaking all others, as the vow says, keeping only unto the other as long as they both shall live. Now, as we have seen experientially, as we know, this vow is sometimes broken. And this happens when one of them, potentially can happen because of this but it happens oftentimes because one of them engages in some sort of marriage outside of the, the marriage relationship. That might be with another person. It might be their desires for something else. But something else begins to come into the marriage to take place of that person. We commonly call this cheating, stepping out, as the Bible calls it, adultery. And this evening, we'll take a closer look at this commandment, commandment number seven, and as we'll learn what, what scripture says about adultery. So as we begin tonight, let's begin with a word of prayer and ask God to, to bless us as we, as we look at his word. Lord God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would be with me now as I, as I preach and teach. We pray that you would be with our hearts, Lord. We pray that we would be mindful of the message that you have for us. We pray, Lord, that we would seek to do your will and we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So the word adultery, etymologically, uh, is related to adulterate. And adulterate means to render something poorer in quality by adding another substance. I think that's a tremendous definition when we think about marriage. If we're adding something to it, it's going to make it poorer in quality. Another way of thinking about this might be to add something that will corrupt, debase, make impure by the addition of a foreign inferior substance or element. Adultery then would be the adulteration 
of the marriage by the addition of a third person. There are no passive participants in adultery. Adultery is a voluntary act often involving sexual activity between a married person and someone other than their spouse. So as we look at this commandment tonight, as we look at adultery, we wanna see first that adultery was not part of God's plan. This is the case with all sin, but certainly this was not part of God's plan. As we look in Genesis 2, Verses 21 through 24, we see that, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the, the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And then the man said that this is, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So in the beginning, as God is creating the first people, God has designed men and women to be in a committed relationship, to be with each other, to become one flesh. And that relationship that God established was to be for a lifetime. Now, we know that as sinful man deals with God's law, as sinful man deals with things that God has created, and as we seek to have our own will and way, we begin to try to change and modify what God has said. Rather than looking at his law and his word, we seek to have our own will and have our own way in our lives, in our own families. And so we see in scripture, it's not very long before we have polygamy that comes forth. We see Abraham and the examples of him having more than one wife. And just in that simple, single example, we see the strife, envy, jealousy that comes from going against what God's law says, trying to fulfill God's promise your own way. And in doing so, they sinned. And those sins were sins that brought forth more sins. One of the best examples that, that I, can, um, I can think of in scripture as we think about not just polygamy, but what does adultery look like in the life of people in scripture is David and Bathsheba. As we look at the example of King David standing upon his palace, looking out and seeing Bathsheba bathing, not averting his gaze, but continuing to look, lusting, desiring to have her brought to him, so that he may lay with her. Then he lied to cover it up and he killed her husband, Uriah the Hittite. So we see that not only do the sins of polygamy and the sins of uh, adultery lead to additional sin, we know very clearly from scripture that they are against what God had originally planned. And as is the case in both, we also see that adultery begins in the heart. James 1, verses 12 through 15 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We see these in the examples of Abraham. We see them in the example of David. Sin has worked the same since it entered the world with Adam and Eve. We are tempted by things that seem pleasing or good to us. We all have examples in our own lives that we can think of of times when we were tempted to do things because they seemed good at the time or they seemed pleasing at the time, but they were sinful. And those temptations begin to lure us away from the truth as we desire them. And that desire tempts us. And as that desire grows and that temptation grows, it ultimately results in us sinning against God, sinning against his word. And this is what James is telling us. So we must guard our hearts against the temptations of the devil and the wickedness that is in our own desires, in our own hearts. As we think about adultery, desiring someone that is outside the marriage, think about, think about relationships that you have in your life. When we look at what happens with people when they begin to desire someone other than their spouse, sometimes it happens through work relationships. Sometimes it happens through just friendships, people that you know. Sometimes it, it happens because people are where they shouldn't be in the first place, hanging out, spending time with people other than their family. And when they do, they begin to build relationships. They find someone funny. They like their smile. They like the way that they listen to them or they have similar interests. And that seed begins to grow. That seed of sin begins to grow in their life. And they're tempted. And that temptation lures them away from the truth. It lures them away from the committed marriage relationship that they have with their spouse. They begin to desire this other person more so than they desire their spouse. And ultimately it grows and it results in sin. And scripture tells us that when it is full grown, it brings forth death. Each of us, each and every single one of us is affected differently by temptations. And we need the help of our Heavenly Father to guide us in the paths of righteousness and away from sin. So adultery begins in the heart. And one of the things that we need to realize also is that adultery is not just physical. I think that's a lie that people tell themselves when they're involved in some sort of flirtatious interaction with someone who is not their spouse. They're saying, well, we've never done anything. You know, we're just talking, we're just friends, we're just having fun. That's playing with fire. Because if you begin enjoying the company of someone other than your spouse, more so than you enjoy the company of your spouse, you are already well down the road to committing adultery. And adultery, does not mean that it's just physical. Adultery happens in the heart. Matthew chapter five, verse 27 through 30 says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, 
that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. So in the Old Testament, adultery as defined would lead us to believe that it's a sexual relationship. But as we see Jesus speaking, he gives us clarification that it is not just about a physical act. It is with your eyes. If we are looking and we're thinking about someone lustfully, if we're thinking about them and we're focusing on them and dwelling on them in our mind and with our eye, then we are committing adultery with them in our heart. So the guilt of the adulterer lies not with the action, but with the looking and the desiring. And what's interesting to me and the way that our society works in our sinful world is that our society actually plays upon this. Movies, television, have played up extramarital affairs. They have shown us that they can be exciting. They've shown us that they're actually okay and they're a stepping off point from this one relationship to another. There are dedicated internet sites and applications that you can load on your smartphone that are solely aimed at helping married people have affairs. As if people were not sinful enough. If we didn't already struggle, the world has additional ways for us to sin. Additional traps set for us to fall in. Many of you know about the Ashley Madison site. There was a huge uh, news story on this. I guess it's been several years ago now. But there were people who were involved in leadership at churches who were using Ashley Madison's site to have extramarital affairs on their spouses. As if we needed help. So it's not just physical it's emotional. It's a connection that we might make with someone else. It's how we look and how we view. And as unsavory as it is, we all know that there's a pornography industry in the world. We know that there are things that, that people look at, images they see, videos they watch, all things that begin to take the place of their spouse and their marriage relationship. And while they may not physically be engaging with that person, they are in their heart engaging in adultery against their spouse. At church, this cannot stand. Far be it for many of us to be engaged in those sorts of activities. Adultery has consequences. If you're keeping track, that's point four. Adultery has consequences. In 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if this is where the verse stopped, 
If this is where scripture stopped, we would be left under condemnation. Because all we've been told at this point in the verse is who is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. We would be left in our sin, if you will. But adding to the point that adultery has consequences, we want to understand, but in God there is forgiveness. And the scripture goes on in verse 11 and it says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So as much as the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God and those who live in lifestyles as were mentioned in verses nine through 10, will not inherit the kingdom of God. We need to realize that for the believer in Jesus Christ, verse 11 is so true. It is so applicable. All of us can read those verses and, and shout for joy when we get to verse 11 and say, and so were we. Past tense, no longer. The child of God says, we have been washed we have been sanctified. We have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Amen. Amen for forgiveness of sins. We do not, we do not want to take for granted what Christ did for us on the cross and fall back into sinful ways of life, into sinful temptations, and go back into those ways of life, to go back into those sins because we have been set free. We want to continually be reminded of that as believers. But for those who have not, if you're living in those lifestyles, there is freedom from sin. There is freedom from the oppression of sin in your life through the blood of Jesus Christ. Believe upon him today. Call out to him for salvation. He has already paid the penalty for the sin that you're living in. Repent and follow him and receive forgiveness. So what does this mean for the bride of Christ? What does all of this mean as we've talked about adultery this evening? What does this mean for the bride of Christ? And if we think about ourselves, church, as the bride of Christ, we suddenly realize that this commandment isn't just a commandment about a marriage relationship. It is also a commandment that has huge implications for us in our relationship with God. James 4, four through five says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell in us? What strong language talking to believers, writing to believers, and he calls them an adulterous people, an adulterous people that are seeking something other than God. They're seeking friendship with the world. Friendship with the world that is enmity against God. So as believers today, if we are seeking friendship with the world, if we are seeking our comfort with the world, if we are seeking a, a relationship with the world and the sinfulness of the world, we are stepping out on God. We are committing spiritual adultery against God as we seek that relationship with the world. And that world is an idol 
It doesn't matter exactly what that is, but if there are things in our lives that we're putting in place of God, it's no different than me putting someone else in place of my wife in our marriage. We're diluting our relationship with God by seeking another to take his place. And he yearns jealously over us. As the bride of Christ, we belong to him. It is our commitment to him, his commitment that he has made to us, the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, that sealed that relationship. And our friendship with the world makes us an enemy of his. And it's a direct correlation to adultery against our husband, our spouse the one who cares for us, the one who loves us, the one who provides for us, our Heavenly Father. In closing, I wanna look uh, one more uh, place in Scripture. And Hosea, if you've read Hosea, and obviously we went through the Minor Prophets a while back, but there's some beautiful imagery given to us in Hosea about Hosea pursuing his wife as God would pursue his people and his people being unfaithful to him. And so we'll look at Hosea 2, 16 through 20. It says, and in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from their mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. This is a beautiful picture of us being betrothed to God, us belonging to God, the relationship that the church has with God as one who is our, our husband and the church is his bride. He has done everything for us, everything for us. He has provided for us. And he is jealous over us. And he wants us to dwell with him in righteousness, peace, steadfast love, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. And church, my, my prayer for us is that we would not be a people who are adulterers. Adulterers in our relationship with God. Adulterers in our relationship with our, our spouses. Whether that be physical, emotional, connection that we have with other people. We need to be putting God first in our heart, in our life, in our marriage. And we need to be putting our spouse first in our marriage. I began talking about the marriage relationship and presiding over a marriage. And a lot of times when we look at marriage and we think about marriage, we think about marriage as in these two people. And for some time, when thinking about marriage and, and talking about marriage, I tell people that marriage is actually three people. It is a marriage between me, 
and my spouse and God. And as long as God is at the center of that marriage and I'm putting God first and I'm putting my spouse second, we will not grow apart. My heart will not look for another because I will only have eyes for her. As the Lord leads me to care for her as I care for my own body. So as we think about this church, if you have relationships in your life that are not what they should be, we need to sever those. Because our commitment to the Lord is our first and our commitment to our spouse is of the second importance. And we need to make sure that we have our relationships above board, beyond reproach in both instances. Adultery is a heavy topic, but it is one that we must consider, we must understand, and we must constantly be vigilant. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, for your guiding in our life. Lord, and we pray that you would guard our hearts pray that we would not seek friendship with the world, Lord. We pray that we would be wholly devoted to you. Lord, and, and for those of us who are married and are in committed marriage relationships, Lord, we pray that we would only have eyes for our spouse, that we would love them, that we would care for them, that we would seek to honor them, Lord, and in doing so, we pray that we would honor you. Protect us, Lord, from from influences that would be outside of our marriage. Influences, Lord, that may cause us to, to begin to look and begin to stray away. Lord, we pray that you would remove those influences from our life. Help us to be drawn to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.